and welcome to the Fantasy Rewind Podcast. I'm your co-host, Dylan Stoll, and I'm joined as always by my friend Mike. Hey! So today, we're talking Wheel of Time Season 2, Episode 6, titled... Eyes Without Pity. Eyes Without Pity. Alright, so before we get into our rewind of the episode here, just give out the typical reminders... If you want to get at us on social media, we're on X at Fantasy Rewind, on Instagram at Fantasy Rewind Pod, or if you want to send us an email, it is fantasyrewindpod at gmail.com. All right, without any farther delay, let's dive into the rewind. Fantasy Rewind. All right, on episode six. This one was... um. A bit of a down after the last episode in terms of action, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was a lot of really vital information given out. What were your overall thoughts about this episode? So I couldn't agree with you more with you saying that it was a bit of a down episode as far as action-wise. But it was definitely an up episode for me as in terms of quality um, as far as my interpretation of it and how much I enjoyed it. How much I thought that it brought to... Our, uh, our Wheel of Time universe that we got here on screen. Whereas, like, last episode was pretty action-heavy with lots of lore coming at you. I thought that this episode did a really good job just illustrating how dire of a situation Egwene finds herself in and how, how the Sean Chan operate a little bit more so than we've gotten so far. And I think that was necessary because, as we know, the Sean Chan are here to stay. And so getting an episode that like really kind of explores that relationship between uh, what they do to Chandlers and the Suldam and how that kind of runs their empire, I thought was a good, a good use of time, a good use of an episode. What about you? What were your uh, overarching thoughts? I know you said you thought it was a bit of a down one for action, but... Got anything else? Overall, I would agree with you. I I really liked that they did sort of slow down to put a lens on the Sean Chan, the Damani. And we got a bit more with the Forsaken as well. Mm-hmm. A, little a little bit more. more yeah. Um, I think this is a, it's an episode that's gearing up, to, you know, to head into more things. So I liked it. I thought it was good. I'm excited to kind of talk about some of the elements and the choices they made and your your thoughts on some of the things they did. For sure. So there's a couple different storylines here we could sort of focus on. We could do Egwene, we could do Nynaeve, and Elaine, and the Aes Sedai, who I don't know her name and doesn't really matter. Yeah, <laughs> doesn't yeah. Really matter anyway. Um, we could do the Swan Sanche and the... Tower, that's probably the quickest one, my opinion. We also have the whole for Land Fear storyline, and Rand and Matt, and Moraine. A lot of these are really small, so why don't we save Egwene and Nynaeve and them for last? Yeah, and... let's work our way up with the tiny morsels mm-hmm. and then get to the main course. So in this episode, Rand. Um, in this episode, we see Rand sort of pop back into the Dreaming, and he's having a conversation with Land Fear basically makes a deal with her uh, that he won't see Moraine anymore and she's going to assist him. It seems like a tentative alliance at best. Yeah, and I mean, I think that this... uh, 
Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I was just gonna say I I appreciate that they're really trying to build out their relationship a little bit more, but I also don't like that they're making Rand super helpless. But at the same time, I I did like as well that they pointed out how Moraine's sort of pulling strings, mm-hmm. and that's a big thing with Rand. Landfear points this out, and it's true that she had Loghain sent there, and her reasons are good, but it's it's the same thing in the book. Like her reasons, all most of the time, are very good. Unfortunately, it's because she decides to do this without telling anyone, and she's manipulating manipulating Rand that they don't like that and it's shown up I also like that there was some consequences for Maureen in terms of her family mm, yes like her younger sister and her uh, nephew just are like giving up on her and for good reason now she does sort of make amends at the end but it, it's kind of it's nice to see that it it's showing her duty over everything piece that she has and also her manipulation yeah i mean i thought that it was a really good way for lanfear to ingratiate herself to rand and also just kind of vice versa where rand's like hey you know i'll uh i'll do you a solid i'll stay away from moraine you know let's team up you help me i'll help you you know we've been in this uh relationship the last however long six months or whatever Let's let's keep the good times going, and uh, I thought it was really a very valid way for Landfear to get in with Rand because after the trust with her has been shattered by the reveal that she is indeed a Forsaken, Rand is understandably wary of her, but she ingratiates herself to Rand by pointing out that Moraine's still playing a game, that Moraine, although she may be stilled or shielded or her whatever. She still has her hooks in Rand and is still pulling those puppet strings. And we know that's a triggering point for Rand. And so that was the right move for Landfear to get in with him again. And like you said, with Moraine facing consequences, I think that was great because you see Moraine kind of burning every bridge she's ever made in this season so far. Sending Lan away, sending all her allies away from her. And just doing her own thing on her own. And I think that just shows, like, the consequences she's facing with her family. That Moraine is starting to have her chickens come to roost. That she's starting to have to deal with these decisions she's made. And is she making the right decisions by isolating herself the way she is? And I think it's clear that she starts to realize that she can't necessarily do this 100% on her own. And might need some outside help. Who that is, what that help looks like, is up for debate. But I think having it... Tom Merlin. Yeah, Tom Merlin, maybe. We'll see if he comes back in the show or not. I I like what you brought up there about her ending up having to rely on people. I think yeah. that's going to be a big shift for her going forward. I kind of like that they did this with her, though, because there is this whole piece of, you know, dark friends, so who do you trust? Mm-hmm. I will say that um, I have some friends who and family who have been watching the wheel of time and they really enjoyed the first season and uh my father-in-law was like i don't know what's going on the second the second season and i'm sitting there like it's so great (laughs) um but he's like it's just yeah i I can understand where he's coming from he's like i don't know who these people are what they're doing like and because they did sort of 
have actions before context and yeah uh, with the sean chan at least yeah now my one friend who's watching her complaint she like texted me she was like what 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 why is moraine just throwing lan away and so i like that you brought up that she's burning all these bridges she's trying to do this alone partially probably because she feels like she's not as powerful without the you know she's a bit of a danger right she has all this really important information she's got a target on her back she doesn't have the power to protect lan anymore so i'll send lan away to protect him i don't know who to trust because anyone could be a dark friend so there are these these elements there that sort of leads to why she might be doing a lot of this but at the same time it it's it can be kind of confusing like why would you just throw lan away and uh as i told my friend i was like this isn't how it happened in the books yeah uh, she does eventually do this right but not for a while still and it, it was interesting because lan ends up trying to leave uh, alana and her warders to go find swan swan sanche excuse me to warn her about the dragon reborn i wasn't quite sure on that one what was going on with that yeah so like just my quick aside here just on moraine throwing lan away to protect him that's all well and good and everything but at the same time you are now a woman a woman who cannot channel out in the world with the forsaken targeting you this out of any time in your eyes to die career is when you need a warder so it might be that Moraine wants to try to protect Lan, but she needs to protect herself too. If she is so important with all this knowledge and like it's important to her to guide the Dragon Reborn, she needs to be alive in order to do that. So her throwing Lan away was dumb, in my opinion, and just oh. being blunt. But listen, I think I don't disagree yeah. with you. Yeah, I think that the decisions that have been made as far as with this episode trying to make her be like okay you know what i'll take your stupid sandwich i'll eat your sandwich i will i will play nice with my family and not just be this domineering like isolated Mm. hermit who takes and takes and takes and never gives anything i will give back some of the love that's being shown to me i think that small kindness of that conversation with her nephew about like i ate your sandwich it was still very good I don't, but like, I thought like that little throwaway portion there was nice to show Moraine starting to kind of give back some of the affection she had been shown. Agreed. Agreed. Um, we do get a meeting here in Kyrian since we'll kind of stay here. Yeah, yeah. Kyrian's where it's at. After Rand leaves his dream and leaves Moraine. He does go to see Loghain, which was, this was a cool scene, him embracing the source, learning that he can't surrender to it, he has to take it. Yes. So we're, he's starting to teach himself, and we know we can read between the lines here. The reason he's doing this is because he's like, I need to be able to protect myself right. from Lanfear and whoever else. Yeah, just it, protect himself in general. I mean, he's learned some of the sword forms from the older gentleman who's at the asylum there, but... The sword forms will only get you so far when you are facing people who can use the one power. So him just like doing a cursory lesson with Loghain just to see how strong he is really was uh, was really needed. Oh, agreed. I think it was 
it was a good showing. Um, we then have Rand meeting up with Matt, who is in Kyrian. I think we called that. Oh, totally. Uh, with Min and Matt found Rand, and they had a really great embrace, and they're going back together, and they're heading to Falma. And I, what I really liked about this scene here was when Matt told Rand, oh, you know, everybody needs you. And Rand says to Matt, they need you too. And just like that kind of building back of the bridge that was burned when the choice to have Matt abandon all his friends was made. I think that that line, that little bit there did a little to repair that. And you could see the impact that line had on Matt. Yeah, I think so too. I'm. I I actually like this actor who's playing Matt. Me too. I think he does a really good job. Honestly, I I couldn't help during the scene, and I know I'm not going on the content. I'm really focusing on the character right now, but I really couldn't help but just be like, "This is the Matt I was hoping for." Yeah, I mean, like. I honestly never had any problem with any actor that's played Matt so far. Um, it's more so been the writer's decisions to have him do the things that he's done. But the portrayal that Donald Flynn here, this new actor that replaced Barney Harris, um, the Donald Flynn Matt just feels so much more like Matt to me. Like he, he, he seems much more like Matt and I'm so happy to have him there. Oh, me too. And I think, too, the writing for him has gotten a bit better. We're starting to gear him back towards his his original character in a lot of ways. It's going to be interesting to see what they do with this plotline of him killing Rand. I think there's going to be a twist there, obviously. Right. There I, usually I, yeah, is. Because, yes. um, you know, men's visions always come true unless they change that in the show. So my guess is, is that it's going to be someone that maybe looks like Rand, a.k.a. a shaman. Or something else. Uh, or there's going to be some circumstance that needs to happen in order for that he has to do it, right? Because there's no way he would do it. And I did like that line between him, or that kind of conversation between Min and him. Um, I just kind of wish Min had just been, like, gone with him almost, you know? Well, you have to realize what happened in that scene. Min basically revealed herself to be a dark friend. And said that she led Matt here because mm. she was told to lead Matt here. And of, of all the things, again, like making men a dark friend. border Borderline dark. Well, we'll say borderline dark friend because she didn't really, she, she hasn't sworn any oaths, but this is a very gray line to kind of walk her character. A very dangerous line of, shattering who this character is but by her telling matt that it betrayed all trust matt ever felt in her um mm-hmm. anything that any relationship that they had been building as far as friendship wise gone, gone shattered yeah and now she's told matt you have to stay away from rand because you're going to kill him and even though matt doesn't ever think he would do that I feel like Matt still does just doesn't trust himself. He doesn't know like what he will and what he won't do. And while he was in denial about abandoning his friends, 
which again was because the writers made him do that. Um, but he was in denial about wow. that. And the actor leaving. And the actor leaving. Yeah, I sure. I think that. I think that probably forced a bit more on there than. But by him being in denial about doing that, and then kind of coming to terms with it when Leandrin put him down a couple episodes earlier, like saying your friends didn't leave you, you left them, you know that you've been lying to yourself about it. It kind of makes him wonder. I feel like what else he's been lying to himself about? Is he lying to himself that he wouldn't hurt his friends if he needed to? That he wouldn't hurt Rand if he needed to? And so, like, I just think that by Matt not going with Rand at the end when Rand attempts to leave to go to Falma and just hiding out there and watching it, you can just, like, see Matt kind of whimpering and crying to himself as he's standing there disappointing his friends yet again. And just, like, the damage that's causing him. But I think it's because he doesn't fully trust in himself either and doesn't want to hurt or let his friends down, so he's going to stay away. Anyway, uh, that's kind of... Well, that's not it for this. Um, Lan comes and tells Swan about the Dragon Reborn, presumably. She comes to Moraine, and Kyrieen, Lan, and Alana scoop up brand at the end of this episode and yeah that's kind of that's kind of the end of Kyrian right now well so here's something i did want to bring up to you so we just talked about uh matt watching rand walk away and not really uh going with him to falma so when matt matt watches rand go I almost wonder, like, how far away Rand was when Lan and the Aes Sedai scooped him up. Because if Matt just stood by and watched him get taken, basically, by the Aes Sedai and by Lan, and just stood by and did nothing, that's almost worse, in my opinion, than just not going with him in the first place. I think we're going to find out what happens here with that later on i'm i i don't know with matt's character i didn't really see him so i i'd be i'm going to be interested to see the next episode and how his reaction sort of leads into this we already know that swan knows that rand is dragon reborn right but i like too that they have leandrin there with her very interesting also very odd that she got there so quickly there has been, like, know. a little bit of, like, fast travel happening this season so far. And, I mean, yeah. it's not really explained, but we're supposed to go we're supposed it. to just go with it, accepting that they just rode their horses really quick, or we don't really know how far away things actually are. But we'll see if they keep okay. that up, or if it takes them longer to get to certain locations than others. Yeah. Anyway... I'm good with Kyrie yeah, let's and go. we'll find out more going on. So let's hop on over to, I guess, Egwene and everyone in Falma, right? Yeah, because I mean, I don't really think there's much to say about uh, Swan and anyone like that. It's basically, no. they were unseen. She was unseen. Swan wasn't actually in this episode. She was just more so mentioned. No, she was seen. She was seen? Yeah, she was in the carriage. Oh, Lan opened yeah. the door. Daggers. She at the end. She's like going up the stairs to go see Moraine. But I mean, really, you're right. She is practically unseen. Yeah. Anyway, yes. Let's get to Falma now. I want to talk about the Sean Chan culture for a second because they really bring this into focus. 
you know, they have Loyal serving High Lady Suroth, and she is basically having him do a sacred thing. It, uh, the Shantan in this episode, we really see the perversion of just life. How we would, how we would perceive like how you should treat others, right? This episode just shows just their culture and how messed up it is. And I think this was really important, like making Loyal sing and grow the tree. And she's doing it until everyone starts looking at it in awe. And then she just starts laughing to, again, bring the attention to her. Like, I have control over this. No one cares about this Ogier and what he can do as much as they care about me and my power over him. Yeah, and Suroth does refer to Loyal as her Dakovel, which, again, is basically her servant, who in the in the books walk around either naked or in a sheer gown, basically. And I'm I'm very happy that we're getting what we're getting on screen here instead. Um just because that could be very very interesting to see a bunch of naked people walking all around like that. Oh yeah. But But I mean you could just see the look on his yeah. face. It, it was almost like they were making him like show show himself in front of them right, you know right. or and like, i i really stick. think that what suroth tried to do in this episode in the beginning here backfired on mm-hmm. her which was her mm-hmm. show her power her domination oh i have this oddity this ogier i can make him sing to grow this tree and then when she realized oh people actually care about what he's doing i'm gonna diminish him again by laughing and bringing attention to me which really, to me, it just seemed a little odd because we know that, at least in the books, the Shan Chan have Ogier of their own. That Ogier aren't like some weird oddity that they've never seen before. That they have Ogier who actually serve in the army and are some of their fiercest warriors. So, like, having the Shan Chan, or at least Suroth, treat Loyal in this way was really odd to me yes and also too how would she know about they didn't really explain how she would know about the tree singing or anything else so it does seem kind of odd like when you start putting a lens on that like well why would she do this unless she knew about it right you know? yeah so i mean they could have maybe explained that a little bit in all their chitter chatter just really quickly like oh like they only save this in our country they won't do this in front of us but here i can make him do it or something right something like, like you know, that would have been easy yeah but anyway um yeah, that's kind of it. But we do get this leads into Loyal talking with, um, oh gosh, whatever, the Shinaran prince there who they've basically been keeping tags and tabs and trying to figure out a lot about the, you know, the Sean Chan, the Damani, and all of it. And they find out that Egwene has been taken to the kennels. They also have a really important line about the horn. Yes. And that it's just unguarded. And that's gonna prob- that's gonna come up later on, definitely. But it shows again their culture differences. Like they're just willing to leave this treasure out in the open because no one will touch it. Exactly what I was gonna say. Yeah. Honor system is so important. Yep, so important that they can just leave treasure unguarded. No one in their right mind would try to take it, or else they'll die. Except the Damani. Except they the do. Demani. They protect. Yes. Them. Yeah. Now I do. Let's get in on the Damani here. Um, and this is really the meat of this episode. Yes. And it was really important. We see, again, I'm going to use that word, perversion of just human life. Mm-hmm. This is 
slavery, but in in so so many ways, so much. I don't want to say so much worse, but like so much more. It's not just telling someone what to do and not paying them, and but it's just like abuse of the mind, the body, the identity. Yes, which I guess slavery would technically be all those things, mm-hmm. but you see it, and it's just so visceral. Like this is this is a, in a lot of ways how I imagined this, and it get it did give me that feeling I got when I read this book the first time the horror like people these people are doing this to like Egwene to these other people like making them lose their identity and lose who they are and we just see the I don't want to get into all of it but the physical torture of it like the hopelessness I'm reading this in the books I do remember just feeling like so I was so I had so much empathy for Egwene because I was just like there's you want to get out you want to escape you don't want to yeah. lose yourself but at the same time they're making it so easy to just give up and give in and I'm really glad that it was as brutal as it was on the show here because Egwene mm-hmm. she carries this with her the rest of her life and so for us to see exactly why that's the case is so important also, like you oh, said, okay. just like having the Sean Chan not just make these women do the use the one power for their benefit. That's not what they're doing. They're saying you are not a woman. You are not a person. You are a demone. You exist as an animal for us to control and use as we will. And just like the dehumanization of it all. I feel like the the best part of it comes at the very end for Egwene here, where this entire episode, Egwene's plotting about how she's going to get out of her situation, how she's going to take that water bowl, smack Rena over the head with it, and then beat the ever-loving crap out of her when she's on the ground, and then escape. And because of that, Egwene cannot touch the water basin without feeling immense pain. Because she doesn't view the water basin as a water basin. She views it as a weapon. And Damani mm-hmm. are forbidden from touching weapons or items they perceive to be as weapons. And I think that this just comes in and shows how important in this world Robert Jordan has created that perception actually is. Because the Damani's perception of a weapon could be different from what other people perceive as a weapon. And Aes Sedai's perception of the truth can be different what other people view as the truth. And so that manipulation of those items within their specific perception areas is just very important in this culture. And so with Egwene breaking at the end of the episode where she's finally able to, after getting the ever-loving crap beaten out of her... Uh, pick up and touch the water basin and pour a glass of water. It shows that Rena's torture, Rena's beatdowns have left such an impressionable change on Egwene that she no longer sees herself capable of using that water basin as a weapon. Or escaping. Or really. escaping, yeah. And so and I mean, that like we... collapse of spirit, I thought, was was really the breaking point for Egwene, and you just see her releasing that scream towards the end of the episode that really highlights it. Yeah, 
and we get this um, echoed in the secondary storyline in Falma with Nynaeve and Elaine and the Aes Sedai they met, where the Aes Sedai says that she had been there with three other sisters. Two had died, all their warders had died as well, and one sister had been captured, and they had gotten uh, an Adam. Which, I like that they did this. Mm-hmm. They got an Adam, because this is going to sort of speed up some of the process, um, some, as well as highlight Elaine's capabilities of, you know, working with those materials. And I know in the books, too, they got one as well and yeah. used it. But I think this this was a nice little touch. And to have this conversation and to admit, too, that Leandrin was a dark friend, all of this wrapped into one mm was really good i think you know they them fussing with it and then she was like they're gonna come and her and her warder fight them off and it was that was a good fight scene but like at the same time a little odd yes agreed like at the end agreed because like it's like she was like oh just kill me before they and then they kill her warder but and then she kills one of the suldom while the other one watches like you know i i don't know it was kind of odd it was odd that piece um and i also was like really curious watching that scene as cool and as like heart-wrenching as it was to watch i was really curious about the three oaths during that scene because well her life was in danger she she knew her life was in danger. okay yeah the her life of her and her warder so she could do whatever she wanted yeah and so she decided to make them into like little boxes (laughs) but it was pretty brutal, and that scene definitely you you felt the despair that she was feeling, and that she was doing everything she could to not get captured. She'd rather yeah. die than be collared, and unfortunately for her, that wasn't an option. Correct, and I do like that they brought that up. I'd rather be dead than captured because she knew what was going to happen. Right, and we find out what happened to the other sister. She was one we had met earlier on, and yeah, yes. She had been uh, converted. Yeah. Uh, probably Pura, if I had to guess. I would, I would guess that as well. And I think it was very interesting because you just hear Egwene screaming when she breaks and touches the water basin for the first time. And then you hear this voice, You lasted longer than I did. I was the head of the Blue Aja. And just, like, this, like, non-human voice, basically. Like, very, like, devoid of emotion. Devoid of anything resembling personality. She just is so, like, droning and broken. You just hear how broken this actress is. And then you just see Mm -hmm. her sitting there, just, like, saying these words. And it was the woman that we had met in the bathhouse when Egwene... Or not Egwene. When Moraine um, had met with her... Before, she was at the tower. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's. I mean, we could get in a little more into like the whole process, but I don't think we really need to talk too much about it. I think they did a really nice job of showing that the Damani can't touch the Adam. They can't hurt their Suldoms. Mm-hmm. The Suldom can give them pleasure from them doing what they want to, like when Elgwain, uh lit the tree on fire she was like good and treating her like a dog like yes. here's treats oh you're not obeying me you get kicked or <laughs> a little bit worse than that but, yes you get beat uh yeah and so it they really did a nice job of showing all that and yeah 
I'm interested to see how far they sort of take take Egwene's training and if she'll continue to have some fits of fighting because I don't think in the books there was ever a point where she was really broken broken uh there was definitely her almost there yeah she was like teetering on the edge of getting this yeah so I kind of hope they have her kind of go almost back and forth a little bit with it um but it'll be interesting to see how she does with the uh, other Damani and Soldom when she's finally allowed to be taken out. Yeah, I mean, all in all, I thought that this episode, again, was a pretty strong one, in my opinion. I thought that it was done really well. I thought that Madeline Madden, the woman that plays Egwene, did a great job. I thought it was fantastic acting on that part there. And just definitely looking forward to seeing how this season two wraps up. All right, but that's going to do it. This is going to be uh, Two Nerds signing off. See you next time. See ya.